one. Welcome back to another edition of the Mad Love Harley Quinn cast. My name is Kendra Hale, and I will be your host this time for Harley Quinn season one episode. Uh, I believe we're on 12, Devil's Snare. Now, a bit of a disclaimer before we go into our recording, well, before we get a little bit explicit and a little bit ruckus and riot, if you are not of the age that you can listen or that you can watch the Harley Quinn series, this is definitely not the podcast for you. Go ahead and hit stop and go look at any of our other offerings of podcasts that we have, whether that's I Am The Night, um, the DC, uh, the DC Comic News podcasts, or even the Spinner Rack. All of those and so much more are available. But if you are not of an age where you can listen to this, then you need to go ahead and stop. Okay? Moving forward, I do, um, I'm, I'm joined by my co-colleagues and hosts, Brad Filicky. Hello. Miss Kelly Gain. Hello, hello. And of course, the incomparable Seth Singleton. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. Great to be with you, Kendra, and everybody. All right. Now, when we last left off um, in our Harley Quinn, Quinn world, we were on Harley Quinn Highway, and Ivy was freed, and we had Scarecrow, who had made it to the Gotham Reservoir, dumping in the solution from, Harley, uh, from Poison Ivy's pheromones into the Gotham Reservoir, polluting the water reserve. Uh, now, when we come back into it, we get these lovely evil trees who have come to life but aren't responding in any way to Ivy, which has completely thrown her for a loop. What did you guys think about Ivy's reaction to having no control over the evil plants? Brad, we'll start with you. I think uh, it came as a shock to her. She didn't really know what was happening, and it kind of scared her. And I did enjoy... Uh, joy is the right word, but um, when she snapped the one tree, she's like, "Oh my God, that was a kid." So she definitely did not like the idea of having to kill these these trees, and I think she was a little scared. She what we really wasn't used to. Uh, Kelly, yeah, um, it, it's interesting to see Ivy not know what to do because she always seems so in control of every situation, um, and you know, for a, a supervillain or eco terrorist who specifically deals with plants to have a bunch of I mean they kind of look like that scene in the Wizard of Oz where the trees are throwing apples that that creeped me out a lot as a kid so I am not a fan of these people eating trees um but Ivy definitely seemed thrown for a loop and then I mean yeah it's poor poor tree kid I guess she 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 would know the difference so yeah that's that's gotta be tough uh Seth what do you think (laughs) Uh, there's a very popular phrase that can only be uttered on one podcast, and this is it. Ah, fuck me. I mean, really, like at that moment, you're just looking at Ivy, and it's like, I have one thing. You know what I mean? Like, I've got, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, the Dirk Diggler moment in uh, Boogie Nights. Everybody's good at one thing. One thing, right? <laughs> and her one thing's gone, man. Like, ah, I, I at that moment, I was like, ah, oh, man, I... Ivy, what do you do? And I love that 
you know, Harley takes it about as serious as she can, which is to say, we got to do something. They're tearing up Gotham and there's no fucking way I'm living in Metropolis, <laughs> which which sort of just, you know, pulled things back a little bit. But I think there was that horrifying moment when the first tree, you know, she commands it and instead it picks up the balloon guy and eats him in half. And you're thinking to yourself, OK, if there's ever been a clear demonstration that we are not in control, I believe it's now. I believe it's here. <laughs> um, that was that was quite the discovery to open things up. And it becomes a, a huge part of this episode as far as like, okay, what do you do when you can't do what you normally do? Kendra, how about you? Right. I think that's that's kind of where I was as well with it because Ivy, I mean, this entire lead up to this episode, that's been what they've been calling her out on is, you know, well, this is this is your thing. This is what you can do. This is why we want you. You're the only one who can. And all of a sudden it's kind of like hitting a brick wall because she can't anymore. And then to kind of move forward a little bit, Ivy and Harley are, are running away from these trees and the crew gets to see them coming towards them. And they're so happy about this army. And it's met with a little bit of a mixed reception <laughs> when they realize that it's not what they think it is, that these are the bad guys. The trees are coming after them. And we get to see a, a lot of different different reactions as the trees start to actually attack. What was your guys' favorite reaction um, from the crew? Do you guys have a favorite um, a favorite saying as as they were going down or a favorite sequence, Brad? Ah uh, man, I, I think I liked it as a whole. Um, it, that's the thing about this show is that, and especially in an episode like this, because to me I felt like this. This whole episode was like one big, huge action sequence. And I was just trying, you know, on the second viewing, I was just trying to take everything in. And I, I just think as a whole, their reaction kind of kind of made me laugh because um, it's just par for the course how, you know, how lovably stupid these guys are. And, you know, it, it did look like for a second there that they were on their side. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, that that was a fun little script flip there, that these trees are not, in fact, the army they're waiting for. Um, I, I think my favorite reaction, and I can't remember who said it, but someone said something about plant control. And I, I think for, for someone who personally has some crazy... I don't know what they are, plants that pop up in my yard. Like, I would love a plant control. That would be an amazing thing to have. Um, but yeah, it's, this poor crew has been through the ringer. And I think from what we've seen in previous episodes, they know that Ivy is the one thing they can count on, that no matter what's going on, the second they see a plant, basically, it's it, things are good. Ivy's here to save the day. And so it makes sense that their initial reaction would be, oh, oh, hooray, here's the tree army. And then the tree army starts eating people. And that's just, you know, I, I guess a typical day in Gotham. I don't really know what's wrong with Metropolis per se, but I, I guess this is just Gotham. <laughs> um, well, I kind of felt that anyone who is a fashion person and Brad, um, since I'm always <laughs> plugging your fashion podcast, I was kind of surprised to not hear a response from you or um, from the ladies, because I, I've heard this on numerous occasions when men and women are wearing a really nice top. 
and something happens to it. And the trees start shooting these green things, which are just crazy as shit. It's like some sort of like, I mean, it looks like kryptonite, but it's clearly this like energized goop that they've all been fed. And they're shooting it out. And there's Ivy running and she gets hit and she's like, ah, that's my favorite top dick and i fucking died like right then i was just like oh shit okay between my wife and one or two girlfriends a sister a mom that's a phrase i've heard on more than one occasion mom less is likely but still i think i think i was still distracted by sai getting healed and then back in the chair it's like uh easy come easy go healed stabbed and then i think the next was probably clayface when he gets just like i mean shot up with like 50 of them falls to the ground and then suddenly he's like oh open the tomb let me crawl in with juliet and i'm like oh wow okay so he's romeo now clayface your perfect moment you finally get to die ah you you seen stealing motherfucker okay dude go ahead do 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 you baby you know as the as the kids say do you and he just ch- goes right into it. Ah, I'm staying. And then falls and lays there and then, and see! And, <laughs> I mean, it was such a clear reminder of the fact that throughout this episode, Clayface is going to continue to be that guy where you're like, okay, man, not only was that fucked up, but really <laughs> you had to choose that moment to be like, there was, those, those were a couple. And then I'm going to, I'm going to add in cause I'm sure Others have some thoughts on this. When we've got <laughs> Batman, <laughs> this fucking episode killed me. I mean, this show. Uh, but Batman and Gordon are seeing this happen, and they're like, "Oh man, I'm glad we canceled Jazz Fest." Yeah, yeah. we bring oh, in the- Jazz Fest. <laughs> <laughs> and Batman's like, "No tanks, no." T- yeah, and uh, poor Gordon. All he wanted to do is use some tanks. <laughs> well, yeah, because the reporter comes in, she's like, "So, uh, Gordon, are we gonna get a chance to see these tanks we paid for?" He's like, "No." <laughs> uh, police budget damn <laughs> i mean it's got them so you know that there's like anti-joker venom and stuff like that you gotta have a bit but uh i mean that's just some of the fun stuff i'm i'm gonna try and uh contain myself for a minute kendra tell me about some of your favorite reactions <laughs> mine mine was also the clay face because at the end of it when he does the end scene you just get this little moment of quickness where dr psycho's like well, that deserves a suicide. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> you guys are so cruel to each other. And and you'd already hit on it, Seth. The next one I was going to move into was the fact that here's Gordon and Batman talking about how, you know, Gordon, all he has to do is evacuate this park. Like, that's <laughs> all that Batman expects of him. And all he wants, he wants to use the tank. And Batman's like, no tanks. I need you to be surgical. I need you to be prudent. <laughs> and I mean, it kind of brings up a question. So this will be a dual part for me to you guys, because not only do I want your reactions to how Gordon just absolutely throws a tantrum on, on their local news and is, is right there with the reporter as she, you know, why aren't we using the tanks? Like what, why do we buy them if we're not going to use them? But there's also, we've, we've debated over the last couple episodes about Scarecrow and just who he is as a character. And I think that this one kind of brings, this moment brings it full circle for Scarecrow because we find out that not only is he alive and he survived the, the tossing of, of being, you know, in the, in the reservoir from a truck, but he's actually 
rounding up the people of Gotham on the outskirts by creating a circle of fear toxin to lead them to the park. What did you think about this, Brad? I think, well, as far as Gordon's rant and just the whole thing with the um, with the tanks, if you if you take all the humor out of it, it kind of is kind of fitting with what the discussion in the world is right now with what cops should have and what their funding should be. I found it kind of relevant to today. And so it was kind of, it's almost like it was ahead of its time when this episode was originally released. And as far as Scarecrow, I, I thinking about it, you know, when we, we, we've talked about Scarecrow before and how, you know, some of these characters are kind of our favorite incarnations, but Scarecrow wasn't necessarily. But it is kind of cool because Scarecrow, for the most part, I mean, the last couple episodes he had a bigger role, but he kind of stayed in the background. And it was kind of um, a cool surprise how they made him one of the, like, kind of the big bad of the season between, you know, him and Joker and Queen of Fables. So it's it was kind of cool seeing... Uh, what you thought was a minor character having a much bigger role. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, Brad, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head with the, you know, what what should the, the police officers be doing in this case of you have killer plants, uh, the option to use tank, but you're just supposed to be evacuating but now you have a bunch of people from the outskirts making their way inside because they've been injected with fear toxin, in which case tanks would still be the wrong choice. But one of the things I like about Gordon is how he's kind of like a big kid almost. He just he wants to be the kid on the playground with the coolest toy truck and the coolest toy truck is always a tank. So it's I mean, it makes perfect sense. But he's I mean. Oh, Gordon is, he's not a good cop yet. I know we'll see him get there, but at this point in the show, it's just like, what are you, why? It's, Batman's making the smart calls and Batman's a grown man dressing up in a bat suit. It's it's fascinating. Um, But yeah, going back to Scarecrow, I mean, I, I would agree that he's not my favorite iteration of Scarecrow. And in a sense, I think if I wasn't rewatching this show, I would almost forget that he's there, sort of. I, I would remember, um, you know, I'd remember Ivy being captured. I would remember this with the trees, but it, something about him is just really forgettable in this show for some reason, which is crazy because he's sort of the one that starts the gigantic downfall of Gotham in a sense. Um but yeah, I mean, this this episode just shows this only by a year or so, but the show really was a little bit ahead of its time. And I mean, it's it goes right back to that argument of, you know, maybe maybe no tanks. Uh, Seth, what do you think? I'm going to drop the maybe no tanks, just no tanks, because as you pointed out, a mature adult who dresses up as a bat was able to make a pretty well-pointed ears argument about how tanks are not necessary, valuable, or needed, right? Like, <laughs> he was pretty clear about this. And yeah, it does, it, it, it feels timely in the fact that it's uh, a question we have now about how much military-grade equipment are we using 
uh, on civilians uh, through the law enforcement or law enforcement being allowed to use on civilians this kind of equipment and purchase it. And and then it brought me back to Die Hard. <laughs> Because so many things can bring you back to die Everything hard, Everything comes right? back to die hard. <laughs> Jesus, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> so look, you know, actually, we watched it like a week or two ago. And my wife's a huge Die Hard fan. Like, it's not fucking Christmas until we watch goddamn, you know, we're watching Die Hard. Actually, we're probably going to watch the first two. She's not as big about the after ones. But one and two, because they're both at Christmas, right? So it's a Christmas fucking movie. And that's the end of the argument. And trust me, I'm not Amen. trying to. Yeah, there you go. Like I, I've been on board. You don't gotta get me on board. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm eating the cookies, chocolate chip macadamia, as I warned you all. Um, when it gets right down to it, uh, <laughs> there's no need for it. And Die Hard proved it because what they do, a couple rocket launchers, bam. Um, and yet you get it with Gordon. Like he's so overwhelmed. He's so beaten. I mean, I, I personally, I feel like there's been enough references that he's. Definitely being cheated on, probably being cuckolded. I don't want to go much further than that because, you know, we'll, we'll learn more about how bad it gets with him. But he's gotten to that point that he is like a little teenager now. He's so or even a small child that can't process that, like, I have no fucking control <laughs> and I just want to rip my hair out and scream. And as an adult, he gets to do that while also drinking heavily and having some other issues. So, like, you, you kind of get his frustration because he's just, just give me a tank. Just please smash it all. And you're like, no, no, Gordon, no, no. Because then later you'll be like, this doesn't work. We need a bomb. Let's get some big. And you're like, no, Gordon, no, no. You're you're stressed, honey. You need you need spa day, weekend, month, year. I <laughs> uh, clearly there's some frustrations here but man with the thing about scarecrow okay one i love him in this one i love that he's so sinister because he's so civil and that he's kind of like the butler you know he shows up he takes your coat makes a nice little grating da, 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 and then he just disappears you don't see him you know he's back there right just running all over in the background just doing all that shit and you're like that how did this food just show up anybody else notice there's suddenly fresh drinks hey Anybody? Anyone? Hello? And and I feel like he's just back and forth. But I love the best insult was that he was a potato sack son of a bitch in this episode. And as soon as I heard that line, I was like, fuck, I got to find a way to use that in real life if I'm ever in an argument. Just to make it both, you know, fuck you and also funny. Like if you're going to be in a fight with somebody at some point, you should be able to be like, yeah, fuck you, you potato sack son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah fuck you. <laughs> otherwise uh there was there was something majestic about the fact that he's like this is all controlled chaos and you know what my plan's still coming together they're all being herded to the park ah scarecrow wins that's right badass from the background hiding in the shadows kendra how about you i have to admit it gave me a little bit of respect for the character because I'm, I'm still on on team this <laughs> my favorite iteration of scarecrow but I really did gain a new respect for him. Even even if it's not his plan, the fact that he gets to play two of the biggest parts that are, like, if these get fucked up, the entire plan's gone. And he was in charge of that. So to see him be successful in that, it, I, all right, he got some brownie points. He got some brownie <laughs> But, I mean, one of the other things that we learn while Batman and Gordon are, are arguing over the tank situation is that the jerk-off league is coming to help with the tree situation. 
and Wonder Woman, Superman, and I, I believe that this is John Stewart, Green Lantern. I'm pretty sure that it is. Um, but they come to help with the trees. But in once everything's all said and done and Wonder Woman's shown that she can pull off the clunky gold bracelets, they start to get a little bit crazy because they go after Harley and the crew for being responsible because, of course, it's a plant thing and it's a plant control thing, so it can only lead to ivy. What did you guys think of this whole sequence where we got to see the Justice League trying to corral and send them off to the Phantom Zone? Brad? It kind of demonstrated how Harley is kind of an underdog and always misunderstood. Um, One of those, no matter, you know, no good deed goes unpunished kind of thing. Uh, But it's always it's always fun to see see the Justice League in action. And Superman so wanted to send them to the Phantom Zone. He just did not get a chance. Uh, and it was kind of fun watching Wonder Woman use the lasso, even though it wasn't her necessarily doing it. But Ivy saying, no, you need to hear the truth. Give me the lasso so you will believe me once and for all. I thought that was kind of a, a cool way to use to use the lasso. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I I came away from their entire interaction this episode with two thoughts. First, with Wonder Woman's lasso. I I mean, she seems at least from, you know, if we're if we're going to talk about her general persona, she seems like she's someone who's very skilled at de-escalation, that she would know how to walk into a situation and find the peaceful option first. Why didn't she use the lasso before they start sending someone to the Phantom Zone? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, where right? where, where was superhero Kelly? And I mean, you guys know I love Wonder Woman, but in that scene, I'm like, you walked into this immediately are like, yep, let's throw them in the space hole. And and it, it took the villain telling you, no, actually ask me what happened for them to figure that out. That's crazy. And and also, I just really liked that exchange between Wonder Woman and Superman, where uh, she's about to say, you know, we're going to throw you guys in the Phantom Zone. And she stops and she's like, all right, Superman, I know you like to say it because it's your thing. I mean, what I got out of that was, I feel like the Justice League has some secret, intense office mediation that happens. <laughs> like, there, there has to be these little frictions that come up that someone has to be like, okay, so guys, before we throw someone in the Phantom Zone, maybe we ask Superman if he would like to tell them first, okay? Like, it's just, I, I get the vibe that there's a little bit of workplace tension with these guys. Um, Seth, what do you think? That's my phrase. I get to say the phrase. I say... <laughs> That was definitely a feeling I got from this. Yeah, the jerk-off league makes a great appearance. And, Kelly, you're clearly way smarter than a superhero, or at least how villains perceive superheroes in this kind of, like, lens that we've got going on. Because, yeah, Wonder Woman could have... She's okay. She's been on mission of peace for how many years was she doing it? I mean, at times it kind of wavers and whatever. I get it. Sometimes you got to go to war. You got to be a warrior. But she knows when to turn it on, turn it off. And yeah, she doesn't go for the lasso, which kind of cracks me up. And that whole (laughs) or else we will have to. Do you want to say? Yeah. Okay. go ahead. Banish you (laughs) to the Phantom Zone. (laughs) And then later he does the same thing. It's almost like the shared word. Uh, It took me back for a moment to like uh, Lord of the Flies, like whoever has a conch shell gets to talk. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, you know, no one gets to say the phrase more than, you know, twice in a row without somebody else getting to say the phrase or, you know, we get to share the phrase. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> she's like, yeah, um, I'll say it this time. Banish you to the Phantom. <laughs> Um, and I also felt like you, you had that sort of clear superiority part, which I felt from either disinterested teenagers at times that I've taught in school or dealing with somebody who's just like, I don't know why I'm listening to you when they like, yeah, uh, she controls trees. So, (laughs) and it drives me nuts when somebody will do that. Like they'll be interviewed on the street and they're like, yeah, well, it seemed really scary. So, and you're like. Fuck me. Get to the second part of that goddamn fucking phrase. I don't know what it's going to be. So I ran away. So I just. (laughs) And the the inference is just kind of like, I don't know why I'm saying anything else. So and (laughs) I don't care who says it, guy or girl. There's just that moment where they're like, yeah, she controls trees. So (laughs) what the fuck? Like, you know, tree girl goes in the phantom zone. You guys are clearly with her. I I don't understand. But the lasso part was fucking hilarious. Brad, I'm so glad you brought that up because it was so organic. And I was just thinking to myself, everything that I tried to write down (laughs) as I was laughing to my ass off. Oh, my God. I secretly watch NASCAR. I take long showers. I hate paper straws. They're soggy. I think they suck. Oh, fuck. I mean, that whole little, just like, she's like, God, get this fucking thing off me. That that was, for me, just a a lovely little rant and a great insight. Because, you know, we started out talking about the fact that we're used to seeing Ivy in control. And this whole time, no control. And yet again, you know, like the one moment she has to prove that they're innocent and she has to lose control with the last... Uh, Kendra, save me, my dear. I, I will start choking with laughter. <laughs> I have to agree. I mean, the, the, the lasso scene is great. And there's actually a, a point where you guys brought up where, you know, they're, they're going off of everything that they've seen from pretty much everybody who's on this crew from their past history. They're not even, you know, trying to step in. And Kelly, you, you made a good point. Here's someone who has so much common sense and is so great at mediation, not even thinking to use the, the lasso because it's it's almost like, well, okay, look who you're hanging out with. And of course it's you. And that's actually something that comes up again for Superman in season two, but I'm not going to give any spoilers away because we're not allowed to do that. But I mean, it's, it's really <laughs> funny to see how the writers I mean, they, they, I've said it before, and I know you guys have too. They really don't leave anything on the floor. There's nothing that happens in an episode or that they bring into each episode that isn't important or that will be touched on again later. And it's really cool to see the connecting dots. Speaking of those connecting dots, we have the Queen of Fables who shows up. And she's alive and well and completely devastates the Justice League by putting them into the book. Um, what did you guys think seeing the Queen of Fables back in action again, Brad? Uh, as much as I like Wanda Sykes, um, I, I'm not too wild about the character sometimes. It kind of takes me out of the immersion of the show in some ways because it seems the fairy tale aspects seem kind of counter to some of the the rawness that we see, you know, in, in the show. So um, I, I, I think that she's definitely a formidable villain, but just personally, just not 
my favorite. But I, I did kind of expect her to uh, to be back. And um, when we see what happens to the Justice League, that's when the big picture of the plan comes more into focus and we get to see what everything's been leading up to. And I thought that was kind of cool to see that kind of come to light. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I, I do enjoy um, the Queen of Fables a lot. And it is very, very fair that the Justice League gets put in a book. I mean, because she, like, like she said, into the fucking tax book we go. I mean, she spent... A long time in a textbook, and that's not cool. So in a way, I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, they're they're kind of being jerks, and and if there was a punishment that was going to fit them, then fine. Um, but Queen of Fables, I mean, I I was someone who loved fairy tales so so much as a kid, like borderline obsessed with fairy tales, and it never occurred to me how terrifying the the things that happen actually are. I mean. It's I, I've read the Odyssey. I know giants are are scary because they eat, you know, half of Odysseus's men and it's super gross and gory. And like that movie is from maybe the 80s or 90s and it's still super gross and gory. Um, but giants and, and the fact that she sends them up the beanstalk, like to me, initially I was like, oh, that's lame. This is James, James and the James. It is James. There's the giant peach and then there's the actual giant. But yeah. anyway, it's <laughs> Jack. There we go. Jack. <laughs> i'm here to help yo <laughs> see there there goes my obsession it's over that quickly <laughs> no now you're gonna go back and read them all so you never miss a name or forget one i know it's okay you don't gotta tell us what happens next it's like the bag of cookies i was talking about we don't talk about what happens next we just say it's there bye exactly <laughs> but, i mean yeah, each I mean, story she's... has big things and giant things so it's easier to get the two confused Exactly. And I mean, personally, the giant peach movie scared me more than anything. But I, I'm off topic here. It's <laughs> <laughs> the claymation thing? No. Yeah, the claymation one. That one is so creepy. The ants, what is up with their physical? <laughs> Man, now I got to I haven't seen that in so long. Now I'm curious because I don't remember it being creepy, but I'm going to have to go <laughs> and check it back out again. I don't know why, but there's so many unnecessary squishing noises in that movie. <laughs> But uh-huh. all right, all right. <laughs> focus, guys. Focus. They're, we'll they're going the other podcast, you know, creepy stuff. <laughs> the squishy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's I like I just wouldn't have the big bad wolf. Yeah, it makes sense. That's a terrifying. But then there's as we've spoken about before, before the mice and the fact that the mice eat people. And then there's this giant now, and it, I didn't think giants were scary until I saw Attack on Titan. Honestly. That was the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy fuck, I do not want to meet a giant. Because they like they could just look through your window and, and take the window and take ever it's cr- all right, but yeah, I mean she's a <laughs> she's a scary villain. And I yes, I do feel like in a sense, maybe she's shown up a couple too many times in season one. Cause every time she shows up, I appreciate her to an extent, but I'm like, and then there's something crazy with the book. But if there was a way for the Justice League to go out in this show, uh, the book's the fairest way, because that tax book bullshit was crazy. All right. Seth? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. James. I mean, Jack. There's so many places to go. Uh, 
You know, the thing that kills me about the Queen of Fables is you knew she had to come back. It's like the thing Stephen King said that Chekhov originally said, right? You don't show the gun in the first couple of pages up on the dresser unless you plan on using that fucking gun at some point later on in the point, right? Like, mm-hmm. so you, you kind of knew, like, just like all these other characters start coming back around, like, you, you kind of get the feeling there's a purpose for showing them at one point and establishing her as being, like, the example. You don't, you don't do that because clearly here's the consequences and then – you know, she gets out, we get a chance to see how, but when she shows up here, the shit she said, I mean, (laughs) want a piece of advice? Don't smell Rapunzel's hair. There's no bathroom or shower in that tower. (laughs) (laughs) Call Superman sexy. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, says, hey, do any of you guys know how to fly? Good. Then sends him up a beanstalk. And we realize, of course, oh shit, Ivy can't control plants. Fuck, this actually is a pretty good idea. A, none of them can fly. You know, B, we get a chance to see King Shark freak out. I have never been this far above sea level. Like, <laughs> yeah, this I, point of reference. <laughs> what, Brad? Yeah. I was just thinking that it was also a kind of a, a, a cool way to set up the whole thing with Kite Man. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, that was I, I thought that was a cool plot technique. <laughs> and, oh, people, poor Poor Harley was sure surprised when she finds out they were dating and everybody else was like, well, we knew it. What are you talking about? Um, And then there's everything that goes up to that. Like when he comes showing up, I mean, we see the giant fee, five, foe, and Harley's like, fuck me. Uh, And then she's (laughs) one, they're, they're talking about keeping your hands off Rapunzel Two. Ivy, when she does call Kite Man, freaks everybody, you know, else out that, that, you know, oh, my God, we have an option, freaks out Harley because she's like, why do you have his number? And I love that Ivy's like, come on, seriously, don't you want to talk about how big that giant stick is? Like, come on, seriously. <laughs> and then meanwhile, we've got Clean of Fables down at the bottom who is like, well, that's taken care of. You know, you're not going to have to suck dick under a bridge for a long time. I mean, but you kind of like doing that. But whatever, dude, you're fine. Um <laughs> Like her arrival just sort of like tells me like anything is possible. And I love that we send him up the beanstalk and perfectly, as you said, Brad, now we've got this great tension because the only one they know that can fly is Kite Man. And Kite Man and Ivy is something that Harley has been blind to. Everybody else gets it, as you pointed out. So we just had a chance to like for the role that, that Fables, you know, fits perfectly in this story. She's the one who just adds another bit of insanity to it. And because of that, we have all these other pieces coming into play. But my favorite from that was the whole <laughs> Kite Man shows up and everyone yells, Kite Man! And then Ivy's like, hell yeah! And I was like, ah, oh, dude, that's that that's when you know it's your partner. Whether you say, that's my guy, that's my girl, that's my, that's my partner. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there was just that moment of like, that's my man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's my lady, that's my... It was just that great moment of pride. It was, uh, yeah, a lot of great moments in there. Queen of Fables, clearly, you know, making things happen and giving us a lot of fun to enjoy. Kendra? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to them being up there and, and Ivy trying to detract any any way that she can from calling Kite Man in and Harley, of course, being the only one who didn't know anything about it because they took a pole while they were up there while they're running for their lives from this giant of who knew that they were together (laughs) and ivy has a great line where she's like i came home smell late at night smelling of kites and with leaves in my hair what else were you thinking i was doing (laughs) 
which makes you wonder what kites smell like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but after everything is said and done and they finally get down with Kite Man and everybody's happy and you know, we even get a scene of King Shark saying, Oh, I finally get this now. This is this is majestic as they slide down towards Clayface. Um, we actually get to see <laughs> Batman and Gordon. We switch back to them and <laughs> Batman calls Gordon out on having his tank <laughs> because he's like, you know, shit got real. We needed the tank. So they brought it out, and of course, we only get to see it for a small bit, and it, it's so sad for Gordon, but Harley ends up stealing the tank. What did you guys think of this scene where we get to see not only Gordon finally getting to, to play with the tank, and of course, we get to see the guys and Cheryl, but it only lasts for a little bit. What did you guys think about this? Brad? I'm going to go back to what Seth said about the don't show the gun on the dresser unless you intend to use it. <laughs> so the very second that he mentioned wanting to use a tank, he knew at some point that they were going to use a tank. And being that it was Gordon, he knew that it was not going to go as he wanted it to go. And it's just going to add to the whole other onion layers of things that depressed this poor guy. Um, so, yeah, I was... Uh, I, I think that was par for the course, them stealing stealing the tank. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Poor Gordon. I mean, cuckolded by a tank, too. That's just, his poor life is so <laughs> sad. <laughs> it, is, it is really funny to watch him kind of, you can tell that he really, really wants to do a good job. And he just, his ideas don't work and when it is the right idea somebody else does it for him i mean it, it you start to get where his dependence on batman has come from in this show because you have to assume he start i mean he's the commissioner he has to have started out as a really really good police officer who eventually just you know got to a point where he desperately relies on a vigilante not even to keep order but also for advice about his crumbling love life um and yeah, I mean, it, it does beg the question, should this man be deciding when we use tanks? Probably not. But yeah, I mean, it's Harley. For, that's the other thing. I, I've always wondered in shows in general, in, in especially animated shows, how does everybody automatically know what to do with a tank when they get in one? Because I, I, I don't know what the inside of a tank looks like, but I feel like if I were to pop inside a tank right now, I'd be like, where's the on button? I, I don't, I mean, maybe that's just, but there has to be some fundamental differences between a tank and a car. I don't know. Seth, what do you think? <laughs> Can I get a video game controller? <clears throat> I'd prefer a PlayStation to an Xbox <laughs> if I'm going to be controlling a tank. No? What the fuck? Video games lied to me. Um, this was a great scene. Uh <laughs> Especially because you have Batman with the mask and like I'm trying to figure things out, blah blah blah. And then he's like, "Are you driving a tank?" No, no, I'm right. I'm riding my skateboard. Uh, <laughs> 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 from the laughter, and if you've seen this, and if you haven't, you need to. The the sound of the tank. There's like a very distinctive like metal tread. <laughs> clack clack clack. clack. <laughs> so he's got this grinding noise. But then of course, yeah, it's cuckolded by the tank. Tank stolen out from under him. Like, he's kind of like, look, it's my new bike. It's my new... Oh, dude, somebody just stole my fucking new bike. <laughs> <laughs> and Harley gets it. 
Yeah, clearly, I mean, here's the one thing I got to keep in mind. She's a doctor, so she's smart. So maybe she's intuitive or maybe she just relies on chaos theory enough that she's just like, I hit shit until shit works. But <laughs> when she pops out and A says, anyone got a class B license? And B, <laughs> Ivy goes, hey, you look good popping out. <laughs> I fucking die. <laughs> My, I mean, I was like, are you kidding me with this shit? Really? <laughs> the helmet does most of the work. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, and then, of course, they arrive to uh, take out the Legion of Doom, and we get another great twist. This was a really fun transition scene. <laughs> and just another example of, as Kelly pointed out, we need to question whether or not Gordon should be even given the authority or allowed to operate one of said tanks. Kendra, how about you? I love this sequence. It was probably one of my favorites because like Kelly said, you just, you get this little rush of of hope for poor Gordon because he's finally getting to play with the tank. And it's just, it's so brief, the poor guy. But I mean, following this, we get to see, you know, Harley and the gang are ready. Poor King Shark is getting squished in the tank and everybody's ready to take down the Legion of Doom with this, you know, this heavy artillery only for invisible missiles to happen. And for us to get led into who the real villain is behind all of this. And I'm not going to spoil it because I want to hear your guys' opinions on the reveal. Brad, what did you think? I thought that it was kind of cool that he were maybe also part of the course that he used Harley's idea about having it pop out of the ground. Uh, and th- this is, you know, this is where this version of the Joker has his day in, in the sun and have his plans all come to fruition but it still didn't make me respect the character anymore or uh, uh, I, I, I still go back to what I've been saying from the beginning where this is this Joker is not the center of attention in, in, in the in the way that Harley is and even when it's this big reveal it doesn't he still doesn't have that moment uh, Kelly what do you think yeah, I and actually going back to the fact that he used her idea. I I don't know if it's been in real life and in TV, but I've definitely seen situations where people have broken up and then within the weeks after the breakup, the one of the the former couple members whatever will say, "Oh, I he cut his hair. I told him to cut his hair and he wouldn't do it." Or I told him he should get a different car or like something that like they suggested while they were together or while they were on good terms and then they use it afterwards. And it, to me, it's just like, of course, the Joker used her idea because <laughs> it's the best way to be like, ha, fuck you, essentially. It's it's that that if, if you've told someone the entire time you've been with them, like, hey, you should should really maybe. Let, let's try Thai food once. And then you see them on Instagram at a Thai restaurant after you break up. It's like, are, are you serious? This is my idea. And I am not included, not a part of it. <laughs> and I mean, it's he just on, on the grandest scale 
follows every single dick X move that there is to to the fullest. And I mean, we're we're gonna see some even bigger, <laughs> bigger dick X moves <laughs> by the end of this episode. But um, well said. Yeah, it's <laughs> this is the big dick energy episode. <laughs> Basically, big dick X energy. <laughs> big dicks dick x energy i think that's something i need on a t-shirt <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> anyway, I, i'm losing my train of thought now now i'm just thinking of what that would look like on a t-shirt set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's reminding me if you've been reading any hellblazer recently um they've been doing a storyline where there's been a series of acts committed and when constantine finally draws it out on the map has anyone been reading Hellblazer? I don't want to spoil this for anyone. There's a lovely graphic image in that. We'll move on because it, it works. Like, trust me, just pick up Hellblazer. You're going to laugh your ass off when you get to it. Because it's not a, it's like, <laughs> it's such a fuck you. Like, it It might as well have been a middle finger. I, I, I loved it. Um, Yeah, like, what a total fucking dick move. And, you know, I. Uh, Kelly, I have numerous times heard, whether it's been couples breaking up, marriages ending. My favorite, I swear to God, one of my fucking favorites is when it's like friends who aren't friends anymore and one has a baby and they say the name of the baby. And the other one's like, oh, that was my baby name. Oh, you bitch. And it's just like, wow, like shit gets petty, right? But yeah, I, I can always remember <laughs> like, you know, when someone would break up with someone and they'd be like, oh my God, they're wearing stripes. I told them they look good in stripes. They're only wearing stripes because I, <laughs> now this person comes along and they're wearing stripes. Fuck you. Da, da, da. <laughs> but yeah, how much does Joker just pull the total, like, I'm an asshole X by saying like, yeah, I'm going to steal your idea, make it come out of the ground. And then, of course, I'm going to talk shit about your hair and you having a cheap dye job, um, which was just like a <laughs> like an added like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's like when someone's like just going to go ahead and kick you while you're down and you're like, geez, really? You stole from me. And then the process, you're going to talk. OK, OK. All right. Clearly, you know, we're, we're not fucking around anymore. <laughs> so this was just a great moment. And I love that it it steals the thunder of them using the tank to blow up the Legion of Doom and then steals the idea. It's just like, yep, stole your thunder, stole your idea. I'm sitting pretty up in my tower. Kendra? I'm so glad you brought up the die job because that was the part that stuck out to me because <laughs> he's sitting here talking shit to her and he's like, oh, second rate clowns with bad die jobs. They'll just let everybody in. And she's sitting there on the tank trying to like, I don't know, reclaim some of her pride, I guess, saying, oh, well, that son of a bitch. I go to this high end salon and here's Ivy. Like, look here, I've sat there with you in the bathroom while you have six bottles of that drugstore crap. <laughs> and I, she's like, oh, I forgot you were there. That was my absolute favorite part because that's how, like, that, that's how relationships with my friends are. They will call me out on my shit, even if I'm trying to regain my pride. And it's just, it was a brilliant, just quick line of, oh, I forgot you were there. And I loved it. It was so brilliant. <laughs> this entire episode was just quick pun after quick pun and it's so great to hear everybody else was picking up on those too <laughs> but 
after we get the reveal of the Joker being, you know, the the big dick X energy behind everything, we get to see him and Fables talking um, and celebrating, not not necessarily with liquor because it's too early in the morning, but, you know, we get to see them celebrating and Joker flies off the handle because Fables has told him that she took care of Harley and everyone else. And then here they are on a tank in front of the tower. Uh, Ivy, you know, the trees come in and they take out the tanks and we actually get a moment that I think was something all of us were looking forward to, which was Ivy going to get the water ingest it and and try to help out since she knew that she wasn't going to be able to control anything and we get to see a moment with kite man that is slightly awkward for for ivy but i think that we all we all had had a good time with it brad what did you think about the moments leading up to it uh definitely a lot of foreshadowing of stuff that happens in the second season uh and having seen the second season now and seeing all this, I have appreciation for, again, once how, how they all constructed this whole season and, uh, and the arcs. But uh, I, I'm glad he could see the silver lining in her reaction, which was typical Kite Man, but also, you know, thank God, because it could have gone either way. He could have been really depressed from it. And uh, and I really enjoyed the scene with Ivy being large and destroying everything. Definitely got like a Attack of the 50-Foot Woman vibe, uh, B-movie vibe from that, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I, Kite Man, I go so back and forth on him because some episodes I'm like, this is the most annoying person, but he has this real genuine appreciation for Ivy. And also we talked about her shirt earlier. Uh, that, that shirt gets fucked. I mean, <laughs> that was, that's one of the first, first things that pops in my head is like, Oh damn, her favorite top. <laughs> like, that thing gets shredded. But, you know, it, it's, I, I like giant Ivy and I love how supportive kite man is. Also, I, Am I mistaken, or was there a little bit of a, a sidebar from from Doctor Psycho? Like that? It's clearly giant women are his thing. Oh um, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> if any third box. <laughs> but uh, oh god, Ivy is just. I I think one of the underlying themes of this show has been how incredibly cool Poison Ivy is. I mean, she can do anything. She goes from pheromones and poisons to you know raising out of the ground on top of a giant vine thing and in this one it's well i can't control the plants so fuck it i'm just get big um yeah i (laughs) this this scene is fantastic and i i mean she obviously gets a replacement shirt because that shirt comes back again we we see that shirt (laughs) too so i assume she's a closet of them which i i don't judge her for because i have several of the same exact dress because I liked the first one so much. Um, yeah, Seth? I'm not going to talk about how many types of one dress I have. That's my <laughs> Y'all, yeah, that's me. Um, <laughs> everything leading up to this was great. Fables talking shit to Joker about this is a weak-ass drink and he's not getting fucked up on a Wednesday 
say uh, the fucking the news anchor scene, which was one of my favorites leading up to this, when she's like, "Yeah, things are going bad. There's a gun pointed at me. Let's all talk about whether or not facial scars are actually really hot." Uh, <laughs> and then how Ivy's like. Yeah, um, but they're only the second most evil network. We can all agree on that, right? The proposal by Kite Man with the, the invisible box and ring. Psycho's going, what do you see in him? And her like, well, he's he's got... Fuck you, Psycho. <laughs> Which you just have to love because, Kelly, like you were saying, it's really hard to sort of like pin down what the love is with man and the one thing you can go with is he unabashedly loves ivy that's the one thing he's got going for him the rest of them uh i don't know like all i can see is that great line from clueless which one of my friends in high school would always say project like he's just like a work in progress um and he's (laughs) difficult to say the least right the rest of it just gets hilarious because, yeah, we do get that attack of the 50-foot woman thing. She does destroy your favorite top. I thought it was a little much that she had to pick up the hose and put it to her mouth that way. I was like, are we – is this – did we just get suggested – okay, never mind. Because then they thankfully kind of show her from the back. But there was a moment when she picks up the hose and puts it to her mouth and then he proposes. And I was like, did that get weird? Just why the – really? So – Getting her, you know, tall was hilarious for me, especially when she kills the tree and she casts the ring. She's like, oh, God, he was just a kid. Uh, And her her claim of like, I promise I'll plant thousands of you when this is all over. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, And the psycho one. Yeah, just, you know, here's some cash. Put me in your pocket. Yeah, he's, as they say, (laughs) has a type. Um, There's something like sadly creepy about the man and you don't want to go with the small man complex but you can't help but notice a diminutive stature and then you can think of all those times you've seen characters with diminutive statures longing for someone who is towering above them it's i i don't know what it's called clinically i'm not a psychologist to be you know as somebody who is really short i never understood that but you know i think you you've I, seen I, it you right it Seinfeld, but i've seen it but i never understood it <laughs> Brad, i love you for that man uh, <laughs> i i had no idea i still have no idea exactly how tall you are so i'm like all right well now i gotta take him on faith on this i have no frame of reference for this but i'm secretly never going to picture you as small as psycho how about i agree to that right. are we good <laughs> Now, keeping all that in mind, (laughs) I also have a certain amount of faith, and don't correct me while we're recording, please, God, that you would never say, hey, honey, here's some cash. Put me in your pocket. I I, I would not. Thank you. I love you for that. Right there. These are reasons why I can love and respect you uh, beyond all the others. So keeping all of that in mind, um, there were some of these moments where I was like, oh, that's hilarious. And then there were some where I was like, oh, my, did, did they what? And then it just goes back to fun again. Um, overall, this was such a great build up to that. Yeah, let's let's put a pin in it. And what I love is that Kite Man does that thing where if you've loved him up to this point, you're going to love him because he's like, not a no. Hell yeah. Like, you gotta fucking love a guy who's like, she didn't say no yet. 
And if I can figure out how to keep her from saying no, I'm still in it, baby. And there's where I see him, Jason Alexander, like totally from Seinfeld, like, I'm still in it, baby. I'm still in this. Yeah. <laughs> can you got to respect that optimism. What did you say, Brad? I said, you got to respect that optimism. I mean, because <laughs> most people would be like, oh, but not Kite Man. <laughs> Well, for a guy whose catchphrase is singularly kite man, hell yeah. Like, I always yeah. feel like, you know, there was this great, like, I think it was American Dad or Family Guy where they had this, like, totally random character come in and, like, shove someone out of the way. And they're like, whoa, who are you? She's like, I'm Jenny. And she walks out the door and knocks over some kid on his bike and then throws her arms up in the air. And she's like, Jenny. And I fucking died. I mean, I laugh my ass off so hard. I know that. I know exactly what that is. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about right it was so hilarious because she's she just comes out of nowhere and you're like who the fuck is this she's just like jenny <laughs> <laughs> so with kite man i feel like he's always gonna be like oh i got kicked in the balls didn't throw up kite man hell yeah <laughs> like he's always gonna stay in it baby <laughs> kendra how about you <laughs> all right <laughs> I think that I, I've actually had a friend who is like Dr. Psycho, and his explanation for the obsession with women taller than him was because he wanted to climb them like a tree, which actually fits perfectly into this episode, and it makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> I just spit out a drink, Kendra. <laughs> you spit out I just a spit out a drink all over myself. <laughs> Don't make it a weak-ass drink. Fables will not approve. You're going to be here. <laughs> I wish it was stronger. Sorry. <laughs> Gotta get with King Shark for that toilet wine. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of King Shark, we have, and Fables for that matter, we have, while Ivy is, is you know, large and in charge, Queen, Queen of Fables comes back down to finally, you know, finish off what she started with, with Harley. And tries to take her out and does this by bringing in her grandma, which ends up being the big bad wolf. Um, <laughs> this whole scene where you have the wolf coming in and you have Clayface trying to subdue the wolf by becoming a Jewish grandfather wolf. Um, it it was just one thing after another that hit me personally giggling. I couldn't stop. What did you think, Brad? Of, of yeah, the this was scramble? yeah, that was that was one of the funniest scenes in the entire uh, entire episode. <laughs> I was like, why did you think she was Jewish? I don't know. I took a swing. <laughs> it's like, oh, that made me laugh. Uh, Kelly, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> swing for the fences, I guess. That was, <laughs> I, I, I love Clayface. I love everything that he tries to do. And when he gets it right, it's amazing. But when he gets it wrong, it's somehow even better. Um, yeah, the Grandma Big Bad Wolf is probably the scariest thing, except maybe the mice, that Queen of Fables has in that book. So it, it it's fitting that it kind of comes full circle and he comes back um and doesn't last long and does also i'm saying he but <laughs> i mean it's grandma wolf but then like the wolf what 
did they even give the gender of the wolf in the original Little Red Riding Hood, or was it just kind of a wolf? I mean, do we know that it wasn't a grandma on its own? But in any case, <laughs> I, I really enjoy the scene. Um, Queen of Fables. Uh, what what a way to go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Clayface will always be in my mind for the way he starts every moment by saying, it is I. <laughs> you just have to sort of like, ah, fuck, dude. What would you <laughs> do? And he's, he, he does that like, I'm going to take one for the team. It is I. Grandpa Wolf, I've come to put a stop to all that. <laughs> and yeah, as soon as Psycho's like, what, what, what the fuck, man? Like, I, I get what you're trying to do, but then he points out, he's like, it's a male wolf inside grandmother's clothing. Why, why did you go, Grandpa? And why'd you? <laughs> no, what is this all about? Um, and then this great, you know, as you said, short-lived appearance by the wolf and the way... <laughs> We get to see him return to Fables, like, so, you know, pleased with the job he's done. And we get Harley popping out, just like, yep, sucks to be you. And I, I love that, like, how did, you know, that happen with the wolf? And King Shark's like, a lot of people ask me whether or not a wolf or a shark could win a fight. Answer? It's a shark. And spits out a bone. <laughs> 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 like, one of my favorite moments, um... <laughs> for the most part i really felt like it, it just sort of like gave you that opportunity to to have that renewed respect for for king shark who every once in a while man that feral side of him comes out and you're just like oh that's right you are a bloodthirsty animal and you do you know eat stuff um what i love also is that we get a chance to have this really great scene and i'm not gonna leapfrog us there yet but Man, what a great moment that we get to after this with uh, with Harley and Ivy. It was really quite quite lovely. Um, Kendra passing the torch. <laughs> that is exactly where we're leading to, and I, I appreciate you putting the pen in the note so that we can get there. Um, after everything is said and done, and we get this great reveal from Harley being in the wolf's mouth, um, we get to see that the trees. You know, everybody's thinking everything's great and we're going good because Fables is now down and dead. And a tree grabs Harley, forcing Ivy into action to, to go and save her friend. And there's a big thing that comes after this, but the heart to heart is where we'll sit for now between Ivy and Harley. What did you guys think about this really good moment between these two characters? Brad? The so much of the heart and soul of the show is that relationship between those two and this is just uh, uh, an example of that and how important this relationship is to both of them so yeah it's one of those moments where the show come becomes something more than just silly over the top violence uh kelly what do you think yeah it's it's such a sweet little exchange and there's something really wholesome about two characters who are close enough to admit that, you know, they, they have these inner issues and they work out in, I mean, in real life, it doesn't necessarily turn into talking trees and tanks and giant towers popping out of the ground and turning into a giant and ripping your favorite shirt. But I mean, they have these internal issues that they're very accepting of in each other. And that is really, really sweet. And it's a huge part of what drives... Um, 
the heart of this show. But yeah, God, I mean, I uh, Ivy and Harley are just such a good pair, and and even um, you know what you guys were saying before about the the hair dye scene and that Ivy's just sitting there. I mean, I, I it's such a natural kind of friendship, so it's really adorable when these big or I mean, I guess it's only big because Ivy's big, but when these moments of real <laughs> <laughs> emotional intimacy. Steve would be proud of that pun right now. Steve, wherever you are, my friend, I know you're proud. I know you are. Well done, Kel. Well done. Love you, Steve. But yeah. Yeah, it's an adorable moment. Um, and God, we are just, we're barreling right towards the the biggest biggest chunk of this episode. Seth, what what'd you think of their, their heart-to-heart? It was really sweet to see them be so honest with each other. I mean, (laughs) two great phrases. One, I'm not used to people being good to me. And that's a huge admission. Uh, Again, not just because it's Ivy holding Harley while this is being said, but it's a big admission on, on the part of someone who not only isn't used to people being good to them, but because of that, isn't used to trusting people enough to say something like that. And then I love that, sure, it can get, like, really heavy and sappy, but because their relationship is so much of, like, ah! It's like, I love that Ivy turns around with, like, wouldn't it be, like, really messed up if I ate you right now? And that was just such a beautiful line to, like, give that, like, you know, it's not going to get too sappy. It's not going to be, like, and then like you know violins and everybody just starts doing goopy and the soap opera lighting comes in instead there's just a little bit of that yeah but we're still friends and you know what would it be fucked up if i like ate you right now like that that great exchange between the two and then that natural friendship kelly you were just alluding to um that i feel like everyone has pointed out it's it's something that seems like it fits so well they're that couple where you see them together and everybody's like and why aren't they together? I'm I'm just asking because you're you're seeing what I'm seeing, right? Like I remember going to a wedding with a girlfriend, and everyone gave these two guys the worst time. They'd never met. One was the the brother of the bride, and the other was the groom's like one of his oldest friends, a crazy party animal. And these two were constantly wrestling, like they rented sedus and they were throwing each other off and like picking on each other. And someone at some point was like dude, you two need to just fucking get it over with. I don't know what's going on here, but like clearly you guys have like this great vibe going on and I don't know what's holding you back. And (laughs) when you see these two together, you're just like, man, I love Kite Man, but there's something you two have and very few people in the world are lucky enough to get it. And if you do... Yeah, you know, we talked about this. You, you you take hold of it. So this great exchange just highlights again that part of it that's always going to be like, yeah, I, I can't wait to see where this goes. Kendra? Right. I mean, and you guys have all touched on it. I mean, as, as the season one has, has gone forward, we've seen quite a bit of depth of these characters grow. And for Hi- Harley and Ivy, the moment is even more you know, I want to say bittersweet because that kind of works here, but I mean, Bensonhurst showed us how Harley's family is and, and, and was to her growing up. And we've also gotten to touch on how Ivy's family, it's, it's almost a similar past, which makes it even, even more natural for them to come together because they both come 
from broken homes and broken past. So that gives them a level of being able to understand each other that you don't normally get to see. And this moment, like you said, yes, there's, there's all of this like heart wrenching, you know, admissions and, and vulnerability. But then on the other hand, we get the levity that we've come to expect from their relationship as well as from the other characters. And it was really nice to see that. That being said, uh, we are, we're coming up, like Kelly said, to the big bulk of this episode. And for me, and I'm sure for you guys as well, it was a pretty big shock to see what comes next. I mean, we get to see Joker do the ultimate douche move. And he harpoons Ivy through her heart. Um, where were you guys when you first watched this? I mean, for me, I know it was it was a, a, a hellacious shock. What about you, Brad? Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, most of the time when talking about the show, I'm saying, oh, it wasn't much of a surprise. But this this was I didn't I did not see that coming at all. And it, it was shocking and it was well done because I don't think anybody who watched the show saw that coming. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, that that was a complete shock. And I, I think actually the first time I watched it, I was kind of half paying attention at that point in the episode and I saw the harpoon go through and I was like, wait a second. And like rewound it and watched it again. And I was like, oh my God, she's dead. They killed her off. She's done. And I was really upset about it for like, for a couple days. I was like, well, Harley Quinn just killed off Ivy. I mean, they're not, they're not going to do one of those crazy comic book things where she comes back to life. That'd be ridiculous. But um, (laughs) it's, I, I was. That never happens. Right. It's I mean, it's almost like this show's based on comic books or something. But <laughs> yeah, I did not see that coming. And I mean, neither did Ivy. But damn. Seth, what about you? I was completely stunned. And again, like what a total typical big dick X move. Like, <laughs> fuck, really, motherfucker? Like, you know, I've got something and you can't see me happy, let alone with someone who makes me happy. So, you know, let's just napalm everything. And that spear, I mean, as soon as it comes through, you're just like, what the motherfucker? Are you are you kidding me? Um, and for anyone who's watched enough television throughout you know, time, there's been those great moments where you're like, did they just do that shit? I mean, you know, they killed off Brian on Family Guy and people lost their fucking shit. I, I was like, I'm not watching an episode or two. You motherfuckers, you killed him with a goddamn car. Ah, he's a dog. Like, how fucked up can you get? And then they brought in Vinny. And you're like, ah, fuck Vinny. And, you know, there's been a couple moments along the way where you're like, did they just, did they, are you fucking kidding me? And then I, I love that the shock is so well transmitted from Harley where she's like, but but still have so much ass kicking to do. Like you're my buddy. You you can't die. I mean, it it was that horrible moment in a friendship, you know, that horrible sense of loss, but I'm watching the, uh, the flowers bloom. And all I can think of is, uh, -uh, no, 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 no. These are comic book rules we're playing with within this television show. And everybody knows that, you know, nobody stays dead forever except for Barry Allen. And Bucky, um, 
Wait. So, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I said Gwen Stacy. (laughs) Right, or Gwen Stacy. So, like, at some point, we've all realized that there are no more sacred cows within comic books. It simply doesn't exist. So, keeping that in mind, I was watching the flowers bloom, and I'm like, I'm sorry. Ivy's... Ivy's too badass. You can't you can't keep a good woman down. You can't keep a good person down. So uh, this is uh, this is see you later. This isn't goodbye. And you know what? This show's ended the last couple episodes on a cliffhanger. I'm not I'm not cashing checks on anything just yet. Kendra, how about you? Yeah, I mean, like I said, this was this was a shock for me. And even even upon the rewatch, I mean, I knew it was coming, and it's still. I was like, what? Because I couldn't believe that they did. And and like you said, Seth, they do this lovely little garden scene where the flowers start to grow around her. And all I could think of was a Disney princess like Snow White or Aurora. Right. But I was just like, okay, so we're going that realm. But I mean, it, <laughs> it, it, it was a lot. Like it was, it was hardcore for, for you to see something that, big and we weren't even at the finale yet you know what I mean like I was like all right so that's that's what we're doing I mean and and like you guys said it's it was of course shocking and of course that's what they meant to do but I mean at at that point we we go to the curtain call as Clayface would say and it just that's where it ends as we see Harley and the gang just over Ivy's we're gonna say assumedly dead body and that's, you know, we got Joker in the background laughing his foul little head off. I mean, for it not being a finale episode, what did you guys think, Brad? Uh, I think it it could have been a uh, season finale episode, I think. I think that that would have been one of those classic kind of cliffhanger endings that you have to wait for and everybody talks about it. Like who shot Jr. back in the '80s, uh, things like that. I think um, nice, you know what, what's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that yeah, I, I think that this could have been a season finale episode for sure. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, this definitely could have been a finale. Um, God, I like. <laughs> although you know what, I'm glad it wasn't because if anybody else experienced the just kind of uh, irrational fury at the fact that Ivy was dead and if I had to wait another couple of months to see another season I would have just been bitter that whole time I mean at least <laughs> you know it, it's the episode was perfect for a second to last episode on the grounds that I didn't have to wait that that long to figure out what happens next um you know because I, I'm one of those people who will sit and like think about the last episode of a show and be like okay so that person died, but then, I mean, but there were flowers, but then the, the flowers were blue. What does blue mean? And I'll, I'll Google blue flowers for the next <laughs> six hours. And it's just not. So I, I'm glad it was the second to last episode, but it easily could have carried itself as a finale. Uh, Seth, what about you? I, I agree. It definitely could have been that amazing cliffhanger, leaving us all wondering just, you know, how this can be resolved. If it will, what will Harley be like in season two? But knowing that there was still one more episode to go left me with that sense of like, okay, so we're going to have a revenge finale because she's going to be motivated by the fact that this fucker just took 
the only other person in her life who a cares about her the way a real friend does and b uh, that she cares about equally if not more and <laughs> there was that part where i was just like yeah that that probably would have been a, a really good cliffhanger because there would have been so much time to stew and yet it's not like the next episode is chintzy on the uh cliffhangers you know what i mean when when we come to the end of the next episode, there's still that sense of like, so what now? And <laughs> the fact that you can have the the episodes leading up to this one and including this one, that feeling of like, so where are they going to go from here? Is a great feeling to leave any audience to just sort of let them know that, you know, no favorites will be spared, that you can like characters, but sometimes that's not enough. Um, and because of that, we also sort of get that feeling of like, man, you really, you know that there's a chance with that final episode for things to be righted. And now it's like, okay, I better see some shit happen in this one. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, there's that party that's like, come on, man, you got one last episode. Don't, don't, don't fuck it up. Kendra, how about you? I'm definitely in the realm of don't fuck it up, because that's exactly where I was. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. I mean, yes, it could have been easily. Easily it could have been the finale episode. Thankfully it wasn't, because we had only a week to wait to find out exactly what happened. But this one was this one was an, another one of the hardcore episodes. I mean, we've kind of discussed, and I, I think that we've touched on just about everything for this episode, but... Was there anything that you guys thought that we missed, Brad? Uh, no, I think uh, I think we think we covered everything. Kelly? Um, I I think the only other thing would be just how cool is it to watch the giant Joker head descending into the earth? Mm-hmm. That's that's a <laughs> crazy shot there. <laughs> that's I feel overall like we pretty much covered everything. Um, And there's also this feeling of, you know, just (laughs) just this tragic loss. Like you're just sort of stuck at the end of this going like, did I miss something? Is there a clue? What? But what's going to happen next? How? What do you do? Like Ivy was clearly the most capable out of everybody. What what now? And, you know, you, you got to leave it to, sadly, the the person with the cheap die job. Sorry, but Ivy pretty much admitted that's what it is to, you know, pull the team together and find a way for them to take a little revenge for Ivy and also finally get rid of this fucker. Because, I mean, Joker's killed enough people, but now he goes and kills someone that we've developed a relationship throughout an entire season with like dude got he gotta go so yeah i feel like we've covered everything and we've left ourselves in a great position that when we come back for that finale it's gonna be like all right all right i i, I better see some shit okay kendra how about you oh i'm in full agreement i'm i'm pretty sure that everything that we needed to aside from the descending joker head which agreed was was nightmare inducing um i mean i think that everything in this episode was was touched upon especially the the bigger parts with 
us having not only the the bittersweet moment between Harley and Ivy, but then also, you know, Joker doing his ultimate douchebag move with seemingly killing her. And that's where this episode kind of leaves us. So I think that that's, that's a good place to stop until we get to the next one. Um, that being said, we'll go ahead and we'll start to do wrap up. I mean, uh, let's go ahead and Brad, where can the good people find you? Uh, you can find me writing news and reviews at dccomicsnews.com. You can find me on the the uh, DC Comics News uh, main podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. Uh, Kelly, where can people find you? Um, you can find me doing opinion and editorial pieces for DC Comics News. Uh, you can also find me on our main news podcast and on Twitter at KelGamesWrite. What about you, Seth? Let's see. You can find me writing reviews for DC Comics News. You can find me hanging out with everyone here on the weekly podcast. Twitter, I'm one more singleton. That's the number one more singleton. Uh, Instagram, I'm Seth the Writer, but my dogs, Bruno and Fiji, are much cuter. So if you pick them over me, I understand. And uh, for anything else, just do a web search. Let me know what you find. Kendra, where can the good people find you? Well, um, I, I can be found on uh, on Instagram as Inkstracy, and I can also be found doing news and reviews for uh, Dark Knight News, as well as the Harley Quinn and plenty of other series as I've learned today. <laughs> um, most of my reviews can be found on Twitter at DevourAllWords. But when it comes to uh, DC Comics news and Dark Knight news, we can be found obviously on any social media from Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and then the podcasts can be found on Spotify, uh, uh, on Google, Stitcher, iTunes, anywhere that you listen. And not only can this podcast be found there, but also any of the other ones that we have going from DC uh, Comics news from Seth himself for the, the spinner rack and for Steve J. Ray, we also have I Am The Night, which details the uh, the animated series step-by-step step like we do with Harley Quinn. Um, that all being said, this has been Kendra Hale as your host for this episode. <laughs> and as a leave, what we always say is... Read more comics. That's right. Thank you guys for joining me and we'll see you guys next time.